0: You have your Bible turn to Revelation chapter twenty. Good to see Tommy back there, and Shirley. Revelation chapter twenty, we'll begin reading in verse eleven. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. into the lake of fire. We've been talking about sin. And a few weeks ago, I said, I think part of our problem in our world today and in our society is brought on by preachers who have not been preaching about sin like they should. We don't talk about how damning it is, we don't talk about the consequences of it, we don't talk about a judgment. And many times that's because people are their preachers are afraid that they'll lose people, that people will be offended and they don't want to hear those kind of messages. And you can tell, I can tell when I preach a sermon on certain topics that are that feel good, make you happy, there's a lot more people that tune into those on the internet, that's for sure. And so people don't want to hear about saying And you think about it, when you turn on a television, you don't hear that word used. Turn on a radio, you don't hear that word used. You might hear it occasionally if you listen to an old program, an old show that was made years ago, decades ago. Or you might hear that term sin on a religious program, maybe. But for the most part, we don't like to talk about sin. But the Bible plainly tells us that there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a day where we stand before our judge and we are judged by the life that we have lived here on this earth. As we've read in this scripture, it tells us that we're going to be judged by our works. The things that we have done, the things that we have failed to do, the things that God wanted us to do, if we failed to do those things, that is sinful and we're going to answer for those things. If we're doing things that God has specifically said we are not to do or we shouldn't be a part of, then we're going to answer for those. The things that we have in our heart that are contrary to God's Word, we're going to answer for those things. And the list can go on and on. But we're going to be judged by our works. And we're going to be judged by the standard of God's Word. Jesus tells us that the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. And so we're going to be judged by the things that His Word has told us that we're going to be judged by. And yet there are many people in this world that live without ever thinking about the judgment. And maybe that's because they're ignorant of what's going to take place. They don't know what the Bible teaches. They, don't, they didn't have a godly mother or father or preacher that, that would tell them that there's going to be a judgment and they're going to be held accountable for their life. And so maybe they're just ignorant of the fact that there's a judgment day coming. Others, I'm sure, just don't believe that it's going to happen. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here, and He talked about it. It hasn't happened, so we keep having the day after tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. So why should we be concerned about a judgment? It's just probably not going to happen. And then I'm sure that there are some who heard about it. They understand it. They just don't care. They don't care that it's going to happen. And I'm sure that there are many that believe that they're going to be saved no matter what they've done in this life, whether it was good or bad. They're going to heaven. And most people you hear, when they die, that's where they plan to go. Even though they may live a sinful, wicked life, they still want to go to heaven. And then there are those who simply just ignore the judgment. And maybe that's where some of us fall into that category. We don't want to think about the judgment because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel unhappy. And it can make us lose sleep. Laying on your, on your bed at night. Laying your head on your pillow. And you start thinking about the judgment day. And you start thinking about standing before Christ and giving an answer for your life. And you start thinking about all the things that you've failed at. The things that you've done good at. But most of the time we think of our failures. And so it's just easier to put that thought out of our mind. Get rid of it. Don't think about it. And then it will all be okay. But Jesus warns us that there's going to be a judgment. And so we need to be prepared for it. And so why is there an unwillingness to accept personal responsibility? Because we need to understand that we have to give an account of our lives. And as I said, sometimes maybe the problem is the way I present it or the way a preacher presents it. Because I always like to say we and us. And when I'm talking about a topic, I always try to include myself. And by saying we and us, I think sometimes we think that it's going to be a collective judgment. That we're all going to be judged together. And we need to understand that I'm going to answer for me. You're going to answer for you. It's an individual thing. It's, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll all be there on that day. We're all going to face it, but I can't rely on your help. You can't rely on my help on that day. I'm going to answer for me. And you're going to answer for you. And so it's easy to not accept the personal responsibility that we need to and place the blame on someone else when we start thinking about what we've done. Pointing at other sins is a convenient excuse to take the topic off of ourselves. Many times you'll talk to someone or say something to someone about what they're doing that is wrong, that they need to change their life, and then the first thing you'll hear out of their mouth is, yes, but so-and-so is in that situation, so-and-so is doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that. What are they trying to do? Take the subject away from them taking the focus off of what they're doing. And so they're back to blaming someone else. It's okay for me because look what someone else is doing. No one likes, to be, likes the ideal of being held responsible for their sin. And so we become victims. Not responsible. It's not my fault. Someone else did it. Someone else made it happen. It's my mom's fault. My dad's fault. It's the environment that I was raised in. It's not my fault that I'm in the situation or the way that I am, and you just have to accept that. And so basically we're blaming other people. It's someone else's problem for my sin. And what I need to understand is I have to accept responsibility for my sin. And we can go back to Adam and Eve, and the first thing that we see when they sin, what did they do? They did some things that tried to hide their sin. They realized that when they ate of that forbidden fruit, that they were naked. And so they went and they made or took fig leaves or figs or fig leaves and sewed them together and made them clothes. And then they went and hid themselves in the garden. And God came walking in the garden and he had, and called out to Adam, Where art thou? Do you really think God didn't know where Adam was located? God knew where Adam was at. The question was, did Adam know where he was? Did he know the situation that he was in? But yet he tried to hide his sin. Tried to hide what he had done. And then when God starts to question them, what does Adam say? It was Eve's fault. And then when he questions Eve, what does she say? It's the serpent's fault. And so all the way back in the beginning with that very first couple, we see the blame game being played. Blame it on someone else. The fact of the matter is we need to take responsibility for our own actions. Because we're going to answer on that great day for the life that we have lived here on this earth. And so, what what is the reasons why people don't want to accept responsibility? Well, first of all, it's more difficult. We live in a more difficult time, and the time that we're living in is hard sometimes to discern right from wrong. Now, it's not if you understand what the Bible teaches. If you're studying the Bible and you know what God wants, it's easier to understand right from wrong. But we live in a society that is now starting, well, it isn't just now, but it's been going on for a while, where they're starting to look at the things that were good, and they're calling those things that were good evil, and they're calling those things that are evil in God's sight, good. And so you hear those things, and people say it over and over and over and over, and they do that often enough, people start to believe that what was evil is good, and what was good is evil. And so there's a problem that people have. We live in a society where the rules are changing. God's Word doesn't change. God's standard hasn't changed. But yet people want to change the definition of that standard. They want to eliminate God, get God out of the picture, and then we can live by any standard that we so choose. What, are two, two quarters, three quarters of the Americans now deny that there's any moral absolutes. Think about that. Three quarters of Americans believe that there are no moral absolutes. In other words, you can do whatever you want. And who are you to judge me to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong or sinful? You know that awful word. We can no longer call it sin. We call it mistakes or problem or some other situation. But God calls it sin. Sin. And we ought never to admit that we're wrong when it comes to sin. We can't, we can't say we've done something that is sinful. I mean, as I encouraged the, the group earlier, go through your Bible. Look at all the people that sinned. That committed sin that God confronted. Or that a prophet conf- uh, confronted. Or realized that they had sinned. And notice how many of them acknowledge that they have sinned. If I remember right, I did that once, and I believe that there's like 11 people in the Bible that admitted that they sinned. Now, how many people are mentioned in the Bible? But most people don't want to admit that they've sinned. I don't know why that is, but we need to understand that sin is what separates us from God. We ought never admit that we've done wrong. That's what our society tells us. You're a weak individual if you say you've done wrong. I believe it takes a stronger person to admit their their sin than it does to try to hide it and cover it up. New values are shaping our world and creating an environment where the unthinkable has become the norm. Homosexuality has come out of the closet and some religious people are even applauding it. Why is it more churches? Why is it more denomination? Why aren't more congregations accepting that lifestyle? I'll tell you why none of them should accept it, and that's because God's Word condemns it. It's sinful. And it doesn't matter if it's a family member or a friend. Yes, I know people in that lifestyle, but guess what? It's still sinful. I know people that are committing fornication, but guess what? It's still sinful. Sin is sin. We need to recognize it for what it is. You can turn on a television, turn on a radio, and you can listen to subjects that are being talked about, and there is no subject that's out of bounds. There's no subject that's off limits. Anything can be talked about. Our children are told to practice safe sex rather than no sex. In part because we no longer can speak religiously about what is right and wrong. We don't teach that there's a God that is watching. We don't teach that there's a standard that He has that we need to live by. We don't teach that it's, we need to abstain from things that God says we need to abstain from when the world says it's okay. We need to understand that God has a plan for the world. When we look at our lives, sometimes there's inconsistencies. Parents wonder why their children use foul language but yet they use foul language or watch it on television. No problem. Wonder why their children grow up and do drugs, but yet they drink alcohol? Many of them will defend uh, smoking marijuana. Look at the problems that we have. So why people don't accept responsibility? We are assured that we must never make moral judgments when we look at other people the bible says or the Bible says, "Judge not lest ye be judged that 's what people will say don't you can't tell me the bible says don't judge, so don't look at my life and tell me that i 'm wrong that's the attitude that people have. maybe the only verse that they know in the Bible, but that's what they'll tell you when you start to show them where what they're doing is sinful don't judge me." And if you would read a little further down in that chapter where Jesus said that, guess what? He says judge. There's some things that we have to judge. And righteous judgment isn't me condemning someone, it's me showing them that the Bible, that God's Word has condemned what they're doing. I'm showing them what God says. It's not because I hate it. not because I'm a bigot. It's not because you know I have something in my heart that's bad. It's that I want them to see and know that the sin that they're living, they're practicing, is going to separate them from God for eternity. And that they need to change. And that they need to repent. So what causes people to accept responsibility and to repent? To change? And I believe that there's only one answer. But that answer has many facets. And that answer is a personal relationship with God. Now I know I understand that sometimes people don't like that term, personal relationship with God. But that's what I'm getting at. I talk about we and us, but sometimes we need to be individuals. Individually, we need to understand that I, you, me, have to have a relationship with God. And when we have that relationship with God, it will help us to avoid sin, to stay away from it, and to do the things that God wants us to do. When I talk about having a personal relationship, what do I mean? I mean that we take Jesus Christ seriously. We understand what He came to this world to do. We know that sin is a personal offense and it's an abomination against God or to God. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 24, Jesus said, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for My sake shall find it. There was an article I read not too long ago. Well, actually, it was this week. I'm not sure if it came this week, but I was going through some emails and I found it. And maybe you saw the same article about a man that had seen a man carrying a cross when he was younger and the the image stuck with him. And as a man carrying a cross and trying to portray himself that he was taking up the cross just like Jesus took up a cross. And so he was carrying that cross on his shoulder as he walked. And I'm sure you've seen people do that on the news or in, in other places. But what struck this man as uh, was so neat, unique about the cross was that it had a wheel on the end of it. Now you think about it, if you've ever caught, carried a tree limb, a heavy tree limb that's dragging the ground, you realize that that can work on your shoulder, that that's a burden that you're carrying. But if you put a wheel on the end of that, that limb, it's going to be a whole lot easier to drag that across the field, the yard, wherever you've got to go with it. And the same is true with a cross. You put a wheel on the end of that cross, and it's easy to bear that cross. And his point was, that wrote the, the man that wrote the article, his point was that sometimes we are willing to take up a cross. But we want to take up a cross at our convenience. We want to take up a cross the way we want to carry it. We don't want to struggle. We don't want to have the difficulties. We want it easy. And isn't that true with most, a lot of us? That we want to follow Jesus as long as He goes where we want to go. We want to deny ourselves as long as I don't have to deny anything I really want. And I'll carry that cross as long as I can make it easy. I'll do all of that. When Jesus says, I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him, that means I cease to be my own and I belong to Him. I go where He wants me to go. I do what He wants me to do. I carry the burdens that He wants me to carry. I carry the struggles and the victories all of what He wants me to do. That personal relationship with God also means that I realize that that cross and God's love is something that I must take seriously. Jesus loves us. We sing songs about that. We're going to talk about one of the songs tonight about how Jesus loves us and what that song should mean to us. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Jesus died on the cross. John chapter 3 and verse 16. We see there the love that God has for all of us, probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible. It tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to this earth knowing that He was going to die. But yet He left heaven, came to this earth, and died for our sins. How many of us came into this world knowing exactly what was going to happen to us? Anybody here know how they're going to die? We know we're going to die. But is it going to be in a car accident? Is it going to be by some terrible disease? Is it going to be some night in our sleep? How's How's it going to happen? We don't know, do we? But Jesus came to this earth and He knew exactly how He was going to die and yet He came to this earth anyways. He came to this earth to die for you and me. He left heaven so that you and I could have eternal life. Think about that. We need to take Jesus seriously. We need to take what He did on that cross seriously. And we need to take God's love for us seriously. And I think that when we do, it will help us. It will motivate us to avoid those things that we know that are an abomination to God, and things that can separate us from Him. It also means that we take sin very seriously. Sin separates us from God, as I've said. And it hurts us. I wish people had the same fear of sin as they have for COVID. That would be great, wouldn't it? Think about all the things that we've changed in this world for a virus. Imagine what would happen if we changed the world because of sin. We changed the world so people would avoid it. Think about this world that we would have. But no one wants to do that. Why? Because they don't see the seriousness of sin. It's something that we have pleasure with for a moment, but we don't see the consequences. We don't see the pain. We don't see the agony that it can cause in life, and if we do get away with it, we haven't gotten away with it on the judgment day. And so we need to understand what sin does to us. And I think a lot of us do. Because we have a conscience that's been trained the right way and that when we sin and we do something that we know that is contrary to God's will, it affects our conscience. And I think that we can look at David as an example of that. Of an individual who sinned, committed a terrible sin with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up and then ended up murdering her husband to cover it up. But listen to what he says in Psalms 51. Verse 3 he says, I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. David was one of those individuals that I talked about earlier who acknowledged his sin. That wasn't the only sin that he committed in his life, but he was willing to acknowledge that he had sinned. But listen to what he says beginning in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Stop right there. Wash me, clean me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What does that tell you how David was feeling about his sin in his life until it was taken care of? He felt corrupted. He felt dirty. He felt he needed to do something. And he knew God was the only one that could do it. And so he wanted God to cleanse him. His bones were broken. They weren't literally broken, but he was broken inside. you ever been there? Where you realize that what you've done is just awful, disgusting, terrible. have had people that would say, I can't believe I did what I did. Maybe you're one of those individuals. Think about that. Verse 9, "...hide thy face from my sin." and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. I honestly believe that there are Christians that are miserable. And I believe that part of that misery, if not all of that misery, is because of sin in their life. They don't have the joy of salvation. You think about when you obey the Gospel. Did you have joy? Were you happy? Were you excited? Do you still have that joy? Do you still have that happiness? Do you still have the peace that passeth all understanding? If you don't and it's gone and you need the joy of salvation return, where did David go for that? He went to God. And that's where we need to go. That if we've sinned against someone, we need to take care of it. And then ask God to forgive us. If I have a sin in my own life, personal, that no one knows about except me and God, then I need to take care of it with God. But it's only God and the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. It's only God and that blood that can make me pure and holy like I should be. But it's up to me as to whether or not I take care of that sin. In 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Beginning in verse 1, it says, "...it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as it is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you." For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I was present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Here at the church of Corinth, they had a problem. They had someone that was not taking sin seriously. That individual and the congregation as a whole wasn't taking sin seriously. They were looking at this individual and they didn't see the problem. They didn't see what sin was doing not only to him but to them as a group. And Paul says he's doing something that even the heathen, even the Gentiles, they're not doing that. They wouldn't do that. And you're puffed up. In other words, you're happy. You're proud about it. And you should be mourning. Brethren, how many of us mourn for the sins of someone else? When we see what they're doing and, the, and what it's doing to their life, what is costing their soul. Jesus said that the value of our soul was worth more than the entire world. And when someone is sinning and, and, and separated from God, do we mourn? Do we try to bring them back? Or do we just, oh, well, that's the way it goes. We lost another one. That should never be our attitude. And Paul is condemning the church at Corinth because that was the attitude that they have. Oh well, we'll have more grace. We've got to be happier. brother. we need to turn away from sin. And the church needed to turn away from sin there. And they needed to mourn. second Corinthians chapter five and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand before that judgment. We're all going to give an answer for our life. I've been married to my wife for a long time. She's not going to be there next to me on the day of judgment to save my soul. I'm not going to be there to help my children on that day. I'm not going to be there to help you on that day. I'm going to be answering for Me. And you're going to be answering for you. Christians need to get rid of that them, he, and she, and start talking about me and my. Don't talk about their sin talk about your own sin. Look at your own life. Don't talk about their lack of joy of salvation, look at your own lack of joy of salvation. Don't worry so much about their relationship with God, be concerned about your relationship God with God first, then be concerned about their relationship with God. You see relationships are important. And so we need to take our relationship with other people very seriously also. Because we realize what Christ has done what God has done. We need to understand our relationship with people. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. We need to be concerned about people. We're not here all by ourselves. God put us as part of a family, part of the body of Christ. And we need to understand what that means that when one member of that body suffers, we all suffer. You think about your own physical body. You mash your toe, you mash your thumb, the rest of your body reacts to it. It will try to compensate and it will try to help and it will try to do whatever it can do to help that injured part of your body. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? We can't live as an island. We are here together. And as much as you may not like people, God wants us to still be concerned about people and do all that we can to save their soul. And so think about it. I can't love God and not know that my life touches other lives. I will either help someone get to heaven My life will keep them from getting to heaven. And when we take other people seriously, when we are concerned about other people's souls, it's not just the words that we say. It's the example, the influence that we have on people around us. We need to understand that our actions sometimes speak louder than our words. That it's easy to say, yes, I care about them, and then go beat them in the head with your words. Be careful. Realize that what you're doing and saying has an impact on the people around you. It doesn't mean you water down the truth. It doesn't mean that you don't call sin what it is. It means that you love their soul enough that you want to help them get to heaven because that's where you want to go yourself. And so we take personal responsibility uh, as something that's real. That it can reside only in, in, in you as a single individual. And you may share that responsibility with other people, just like we all collectively have a responsibility that we share. But that does not diminish my responsibility at all as an individual. It does not diminish your responsibility as an individual. You can delegate it, but it's still you still have a responsibility. There are things that we have to do or we're supposed to do. I can get someone to help. I may have other things that I'm doing that are just as important, and I may delegate it to someone else and ask them to help. But you're still responsible for it. Think about it. A lot of times, uh, congregations will hire a preacher. And what do they tell that preacher? We are hiring you to do our visiting. Now, no one's ever told me that here. But I know that in other places that that's happened. We hire you to teach the lost. We hire you to go out and visit the sick. We hire you to do all of that. Yeah, preachers have that responsibility. Well, let me just say this. I've never visited anyone. I have never tried to teach someone that was lost because I was the preacher. I do those things because I'm a Christian. And that's what we're all supposed to do. And so others may do things, but I still have a responsibility and you still have a responsibility that God expects you to live up to. And that's what we need to understand. That God will not judge you for what others do good or bad. A godly mother, godly father is not going to save your soul. They may help you, but on that day of judgment, it's not going to be based on what they've done. It's going to be based on what you've done. And so no one can believe for you, repent for you, confess for you, or be baptized for you. You have to believe yourself that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to repent of your sin, the sin that's in your life. And you have to confess the name that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God in a public way. And then you must be buried with our Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away. No one can do that for you. And then once you've done that, No one can live a faithful life with or for you. We can help you. We can encourage you. We can gain strength from each other. But each one of us has to grow ourselves and do the way or live the way that God wants us to be. And so there's no better day than today to begin your walk with Him so this morning, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to take that step today. There's no better day than today because you may not have tomorrow. All we have is right now. And if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become one today. If you are a Christian and wandered away from God, maybe you're not what you should be. And you realize that. If it's between you and God, take care of it with Him. If it's between you and someone else, take care of it with them and God. But if it's something that you've done and you need our prayers, and we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have an opportunity to come forward and have a, have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.